You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have not, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe that the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1:17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You're listening to episode 112 with some very special guests today, although I am very biased. Our guests today are my parents, (laughs) Paul and Margaret Purefoy. You are going to love the preciousness of this episode, and they are so sweet and so... Paul and Margaret have been married for almost 52 years, so there's a wealth of wisdom there from them. I'm so grateful for my parents and for who they are and how much they have poured into me every moment of my life. Uh, The conversation is, we had a lot of laughs and also it was just wonderful. Before we even got started during sound check, when normally people just say like ABC or whatever in a microphone. (laughs) My sweet parents are quoting scripture and doing. We're, we're just amazed and saying, oh, this is just so great. They're just such pure of heart people. And they Didn't just, they do the Gettysburg Address also? That's true. The Gettysburg <laughs> Address. I mean, we're, we're, we usually are silly and say like, sibilance, sibilance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this episode is straight from the heart and we hope that it brings you some joy and encouragement. And, and happy Valentine's Day. That's right. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Hi, Paul and Margaret. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hi, Jill. Good to be here. Thank you. Yes. And mom and dad, um, I feel like I've known you all my life. <laughs> oh, I actually have. Uh, so <laughs> it's really, really wonderful to have you on Afraid Not. We're so thankful that you said yes. And it's really fun that since this airs, February 13th, Whenever listeners, whenever you're listening, you will be in the, probably in the month of February sometime, and we wish you a very happy Valentine's Day, and one of the most wonderful couples that we know is Paul and Margaret Purefoy. So we have, yeah, you're welcome. We've invited them to be a part of the show tonight and share a little of their story with us, so would you introduce yourselves to our listeners? Just let them know a little bit about you. Sure. I'm Margaret Purefoy, married to Paul Purefoy, and I am a was a preacher's kid and grew up in a big family, and then I met Paul when I was 16, and uh, this April we'll be married 52 years, Yay. and we have three wonderful children, uh, Robin, our daughter, and Rachel and our son, Nathan, and they have given us 10 grandchildren and now one great-grandchild from our oldest granddaughter. I was a school teacher for almost 30 years and uh, loved that, and now I am uh, actually assisting Paul in his uh, work as senior adult pastor at First Baptist Well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm Paul. Uh, this Sunday, I'll be 73. Um uh, I have one brother and one sister. I'm an Okie, 
sooner born, sooner bred. And I'm tickled to death to be married to Margaret and to be father of Robin and Rachel and Nathan and a grateful grandfather to all of our grandchildren and now our great grandchild and just so glad that God is so good. Okay, Margaret, you said you met at 16. Paul, how old were you when you met? 17. 17? And how did that happen? Well, it was at Falls Creek, that wonderful place. Um, you know, it's sort of the dating haven for some. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was working um, gainfully employed at the IC stand. And um, when you do that, you only get one night to go to church. The rest of the time you have to work and miss the services. So having only one night, I my goal was to find the prettiest girl I could find there and <laughs> get a date with her for that one night. And I had met her the year before. And so she was in the back of my mind and I was so glad to see her. So you'd remembered her for a whole year, just waiting for that date. Yes. And I was I had seen her a time or two in that year. Um and I was usually with some other female and she with another male. But um <laughs> that's okay. And uh so so pleased that she was there. I didn't know at the time that she was going steady with a guy <laughs> hiding the ring in her pocket, I think. But um, scandalous. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> I want to hear about you, Mom. You need to tell your end of that drive into Falls Creek and looking out the bus window. Yes. Well, I like you said, I, we had met the year before. In fact, I remember very well at the end of the week, and he walked up to me and said, you look familiar. And so we exchanged names, and he said, are you a cheerleader? I said, yes. He said, oh, that's it. My girlfriend's a cheerleader. And I said, I saw you at your <laughs> camp at OU a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, sigh, so disappointed. But <laughs> the year, a year went by, and so we got to Falls Creek, and my goal was, my hope was that he would be there. And are you talking about my friend that was yes. looking for him? So I didn't remember his name, but my friend did. And she and I were looking out the cabin window, Kellum Cabin at Falls Creek, making our beds. And right at the same time, I said, ah, there's that guy. I met the guy with black hair, tan skin, brown eyes. And she, right when she looked out and said, there's Paul Purfoy. So we thought, oh, dear. Uh-oh. All spare friends. All spare and love and war. So you weren't with the same church then? Uh, we were not. Right. We no. just met. And so we had our date on Thursday night. And I went into the cabin and I told those girls, I'm going to marry him. And they roared with laughter. They said, you're not going to marry him. And I said, yes, I am. So I showed them. And you certainly did. You did show <laughs> So listeners, it's kind of fun to just fast forward after that sweet story that the summer of 1990, um, I was at Falls Creek and that is where I met Chris. So mm -hmm. you can believe that is a pretty fun little connection of <laughs> the Falls Creek um, romance story. <laughs> yes. My favorite part of the story, Jill, is that Robin said to us that she had found someone 
That's just like dad. Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris is just like me. Chris Paul is just like Paul Purefoy. Remember that? Like tennis player. I played tennis at the time. And guitar. And he played guitar. So, okay. Okay. Right. okay. Here, this. Here Here you yes. <laughs> so you have the same hobbies. Well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I'd like for you both to tell in a, a short version, how did you come to know the Lord? And both of the, those are different stories at different times. So love to hear that. Well, it was easy for me and may have been for Paul also because I grew up in a, in a wonderful Christian home. My dad was a pastor and I never resented that. I loved that he was a pastor. I loved um, growing up in that home. And at a very young age, in fact, I can remember my sister and I were digging in the, in the mud, making mud pies. And I told her we should not dig that far. We might see the flames of hell. I was oh. pretty intelligent six year old. So I, really, I went down forward that night and got baptized. But I realized at age 13, I really didn't know what I was doing. And as a matter of fact, it was at Falls Creek. And I felt so convicted that I had never really personally trusted Christ. And I'll never forget, there was a young man, probably college age, and he could see I was crying and he just opened his Bible and showed me, you know, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, you don't have to doubt. You can know tonight. And I've never doubted since. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, so my place of conversion was also Falls Creek. Oh, wow. When I was 17 and it happened uh, in those days, we went through Saturday noon and um and I remember walking from the tabernacle to our cabin and I was talking to the Lord and I was sick and tired of my roller coaster experience, thinking it was a, a Christian experience and realizing now it was just a pre-Christian experience because I, I would constantly be uh, trying to rededicate my life to Christ and falling off the wagon into sin so quickly and then being so mad at myself and so disappointed. And, and uh, you know, that morning as I was just walking by myself, I remember the words I said to the Lord. Because I said, Lord, if I'm the only Christian at Putnam City High School this year, I will be a Christian. I will live for you. And I knew that, that those words meant that I was going to have to burn some bridges. Um, I was playing in a band and, and playing in some places that were not good for me. And and I just realized the Lord wanted me to major on a whole different kind of music. And so I came home and sold a bunch of equipment. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how the Bible began to be understandable. Church began to be enjoyable. And my life just changed. I, I, whereas before I'd been scared to witness or open my mouth and identify with Christ, I was now concerned about my friends and I was seeing some of them become Christians. And so I still was confused about what had happened. I thought maybe I had just really, really rededicated properly. But as I looked at the scriptures years later, I realized that when I became a new creature, when all things became new was when that day when I repented. And that was the one thing I lacked before, you know, uh, 
I would confess my sins, but there wouldn't be any repentance. That's my story. Mm -hmm. Those are both wonderful examples of um, life change in such sweet, you know, different ways. But and that's, I mean, listeners, you're probably um, realizing how each unique story has its own timetable and. Each believer has their own journey of when the Lord draws them to salvation. And um, maybe today is your day. Maybe today you've you've never experienced what you just heard. But one of the hopes we have for this podcast is that it would bring people to knowledge that Jesus loves them and that they can experience salvation. So it's for you. And the next thing we would like to do in, in this podcast is just to open up this uh, the story, you know, we have our theme verses, Colossians 1.17, which says that he is before all things and he holds all things together. Whenever we go through the trials, the good times, he holds it all together. So whether we're feeling like we're hanging by a thread or things are going great, you know, he's got us. So mom and dad, with the theme of this month being the the sweet love of your marriage I would really love to hear afraid not story um, from from your lives as a married couple just share it you can tell it together however you want to wherever you want to start a time when a difficult or did you ever fight like was it just Rosie the whole time I mean I'm sure like not, you, not a single one not a single one. we haven't ever had a fight right that's funny Jill <laughs> <laughs> that was good well how long did you date before you got married uh, two and a half years. Uh, that was the summer of 68 when we had our first date and we married in um, 1971 in April. So, yeah, just as soon as we could. We asked for 1970. And my dad said, no. <laughs> <laughs> my sister married that year and he said, no more weddings this year. And it was for the best. So I went to OBU and we were there together. I went two years and then graduated from University of Central Oklahoma. So, me too. Very good. Very good. Uh, but in thinking of a time that was really stressful, a time to really look to the Lord, we've, we've talked about this. In the year 2003, my parents moved to Oklahoma City. There were more grandkids there. There were my brother lived there and a sister that was close that could get there. So they moved because they needed some help. And they moved to an independent place and lived there for about a year. And then they had to go to a place to get more help. My mom had dementia. And then in 2005, my dad passed away, went to heaven. And we had this big decision of what are we going to do with my mom? And the plan was to, you know, find a nice place for her to live. But one morning, Paul was having a quiet time. And this was in the summer, just a month after my dad had died. And he came in and said, I can't get your mom off my mind. And how would you feel about us keeping her, having her live with us? I taught school full time. I hadn't even thought of that. I couldn't really imagine how that could work. And uh, I said, let me think. And he said, I just want us to pray about it. Well, it touched me so much that he would, would suggest it. Mm -hmm. So um, later in the day around noon, Robin, our daughter called and she said, I just can't quit thinking about grandma today. I can't imagine her going to a, a place. And she's such a people person, such a lovely, lovely 
woman. Um, and she just was worried at her. You were worried. And she said, mom, I have to ask you, have you thought about trying to keep grandma mm -hmm. in your home? Mm -hmm. I said, not till this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I want to help. I would help you while you teach. We could have her during the day. And, and that was when I didn't teach school. And you, I was a stay-at-home mom. You had Maggie, just mm -hmm. so little. So I could not believe that was happening. And you won't believe this, Robin, Jill, listeners. At four o'clock that afternoon, my sister, oldest sister was in uh, France, so eight hours ahead. So it was midnight there. And she called and she said, I've got to talk to you. And I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I wouldn't do it for anything. I just have to know, have you had any thought of trying to keep Mother mm -hmm. in your home? And I was blown away. Wow. Well, not to make such a long story, but that began a journey of three years because uh, obviously where this is going is we did keep her. <laughs> couldn't have done it without all the help of Robin and daughter-in-law and, and my sisters. But it was a challenge. Um you know, all of a sudden we weren't empty nesters at yeah. all. And it was, it was very tricky at times that I can remember getting up one morning, get ready to go to school and all my linguine dinners were on the cabinet opened and ruined. And the ice cream was dripping down the, the cabinet side. And, um, but Paul was amazing. I've got to say that. And it just would have never worked without his support and his encouragement. She loved him. She thought he was so handsome. She oh, was, yes. Right about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we did. It was tricky. What was it like from your side of that, Dad? How did you feel about that whole process? Well, Mom Shelton was such a delight. She was uh, always good for a giggle or a laugh because <laughs> she was just so full of life. And... <laughs> She was so kinetic, she had to know what was going to happen next. Okay, what are we going to do now? Okay, what's next? And so I would just start making things up, <laughs> you know, like, well, I think we ought to go down and rob the bank. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, you know, about <laughs> that a while. You know, she was just a, an absolute joy, and thank, thankfully, you gave us a lot of help in your family there in Oklahoma City at the time, and then we had people in our church that would come and say, you guys go out to dinner, I'll stay with mom, mm -hmm. watch TV with her. You know, so we we really, it, we didn't look at it as a as a horrible trial to endure. We really, I looked at it as a blessing. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad mm -hmm. that we were able to do that for those three years. And really we hated when we had to take her to a, a mm -hmm. place where she could be better cared for. That's when I truly grieved. And it had been almost three years and all oh, things were happening. She was falling more and more. And we, it was, it was not safe. And a young man in our young Mary Sunday school class, who was a nurse said the kindest thing you could do for her is get her in a safer place. And it, it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And I was crying every day and every place I would visit about thinking about that. But I remember we just wanted to be a blessing to her. And it turned out that she was such a blessing to us. Mm -hmm. And really those trials, we look back and we wouldn't trade for it. But it's tricky when you've got a plan. You can't just go. You've got to get a, someone to watch her, someone to stay with her. And, yeah. and there were people that thought we weren't wise to do this. You know, good friends. You know, I think that you're making a mistake. And 
So this one friend said, well, why don't you get a book? It's called The 36-Hour Day, and it's for mm -hmm. people who care for those with dementia or Alzheimer's. And it's a great book. I would highly recommend it. Some is in that uh, position. But it helped me so much about with ideas, how to redirect her when they can get real fixated on something. And she wanted to help so much, but what she would do was not a help. So uh, mm -hmm. I just, I did things like go get all my towels out of the cabinet and unfold them so that she could fold towels. And she was so happy to help mm -hmm. wash all my silverware again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, I, it's, it's good because I think my mind I've kind of blocked out some of those times that were so extremely frustrating and praying for patients because that's one of the most important things you can have if you're caring for someone with dementia because mm -hmm. they don't, they don't know, you know, what they're repeating constantly. Right. So it's, it's nice that right now we're sitting here looking and talking about this thinking, oh, it, it was just <laughs> like it was easy. There were very difficult, challenging times, mm -hmm. but overall, we were blessed. Really oh, blessed. Mm -hmm. Did she know who? Did she always know who you were? Was it that kind of a thing where she started forgetting who people were, or was it that, just other things? That's a great question because she always knew us. Uh, she didn't know our names, but I got a wonderful gift the last Mother's Day that she was alive. Uh, that last year of her life, she lived in a, a very nice facility, and we would bring, we would go eat with her every Sunday, and I went by to see her almost every day after school, and so we were had her at her house for Mother's Day, and I dropped a pan and made a big loud noise, and she said, Margaret, are you okay, honey? And I just started crying, oh. and she always asked who Paul was. Who Who is he? Oh, mm. he's <laughs> handsome. <laughs> Even if we walk out of the room and go to the restroom. Especially if I had a tie. Oh, she liked that, that, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, she didn't know names. She didn't know any of the grandkids' names. Um, but I'll never forget the day I went to pick her up. She was sitting in the lobby waiting for me. She stood up the minute I opened that door and started walking toward me. Hugged me so hard and said, oh, I knew you would come. Because... Mm -hmm. The, they usually wouldn't tell her I was coming because that's not a good, good thing to do. But that day they had. And I, I guess I'd call to say I'll be there in 10 minutes or something. <laughs> anyway, she was sitting there. And, oh, that was a gift. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I knew you would come. So she, she was precious. I think it was just that, oh, some of the um, the difficult things, you know, with um cleaning I mean just and sure. taking care of herself that, that just couldn't happen anymore so mm -hmm. anyway. okay so you were having to do like a lot of the nurse type things right, right towards the end mm -hmm. yeah that's got to be hard and humbling and awkward and all those things at the same time all of that that's right yeah and we had to make sure that whenever she was watching the sound of music which was most afternoons that we couldn't interrupt her or even ask her a question <laughs> if the two were in the gazebo. Remember that scene? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we had to let that play out. And you know, when she went to the assisted living, they just loved her and they got a big kick out of it that she would still watch that every day and could sing the songs. Mm. So, so sweet. But 
What a, what a precious story of just a, a time in your marriage you wouldn't trade for a million dollars. You wouldn't trade it for anything. When I consider the frayed knot, uh, that that phrase, I think that was more like a series of granny knots uh, before <laughs> Margaret. I mean, I was a big wad of knots. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that the, the the main reason I needed Margaret was because I wanted and needed to be holy. And and I needed desperately her help at that. I didn't know at the time. I thought I was just attracted to her because she was beautiful and helpful and everybody loved her because of her wonderful qualities of kindness and thoughtfulness and mercy. But, you know, as we dated and then after we married, I learned it even more acutely that I desperately needed her. And the way she would say things to me, uh, like, like after a choir rehearsal, you know, she'd say, did you mean to say, you know, that about so-and-so? Um, wasn't that a little insensitive? You know, she helped me uh, in ways that are just uh, vast and varied. Um, I think I was like Jacob, you know, the night after he slept there on that rock pillow and and saw that the dream and woke up and said surely the lord was in this place and i did not know it mm -hmm. i would say looking back i would say my dating and courtship of margaret was surely the lord was in this place he's the reason that i got a date with her he's the reason that that her heart was turned toward me because i needed him so badly and I'd be worse than afraid not if I had and <laughs> so had her to be well, my wife. That was very kind. I think that the gift of marriage, I mean, the gift, Paul, has been the biggest blessing of my life other than the Lord Jesus, of course. But um, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a wonderful journey. And we are so grateful for mentors. I look back and think any good that's happened has been because of examples we've had and mentors that we had that poured mm -hmm. into yes. us. Our um, first church, we had a sweet, sweet couple um, and enjoyed that. And then we went to Border, Texas and met Paul and Mary Burleson. And they've just been lifelong friends and mentors. And we watched them. We had a six-week-old baby girl when we moved there and they had four children. And the youngest was two and they went up to about eighth grade, I think. And we just watched them parent. We watched them in their marriage. And so we've been so blessed with teachings and seminars and books. And, and it's just been a... And godly friends. Yes, great friends. And similar goals. In fact, it, that reminds me, one of the things we learned from Paul Burleson that we just grabbed onto and said, this is, we want to embrace this and make this part of our lives. And he encouraged all couples, whatever age, three things. And he loved alliteration, so it was easy to remember, daily dialogue. And that's not just who's picking up the kids and who's going to drop off the cleaning. Uh, it's significant conversations. Uh, we used to call it high-low. What was your high and your low of the day? 
just, I want to know the bits and pieces. I want to know how was your day? Um, and that made such an impact. Um, the second thing was weekly withdrawal. And that's another word for have a date night. And we took that seriously. And you know, my parents had done that. I can remember, I can remember so well on Saturday night, Mrs. Boxley came to babysit <laughs> and they would go out to eat. One won't gone very long, but they, I'm one of five kids. So and then the third <laughs> daily dialogue, weekly withdraw, and annually, he would say annually abandon. We usually say annually get away. And we made that a practice from really we had done that our first year marriage on anniversaries to to celebrate, get away, get away from it all and just focus. And to this day, to this year, that those things are things we have kept implementing and it's paid great dividend. Mm-hmm. You know, when you prioritize, you talk, you communicate. I think so many times in marriage, it's one of the big things that collapses the foundation is not having that communication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking just today that I better be willing to work at our marriage and our relationship because my enemy is working 24 7 around mm-hmm. the clock wow. against my marriage, against my right. relationship with my sweetheart. So, That's yeah. True. I'd love to hear a little a snapshot of seasons of what you would say to a newlywed who's listening or what you would say to uh, a young couple that has little toddlers, what you would say to a couple that has teenagers and they're just feeling like a taxi cab. And what would you say to a couple that has an empty nest or just the seasons of the times that you've lived through, you've had your 52 years of marriage. Maybe this too will pass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, think? it's good. This too will pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't you take early marriage? Oh, I think I would say, you know, you're young and you have all the energy and you don't have children yet. And just to enjoy, make the most of your time. In fact, we look back and I can just laugh. It was it was kind of great. You know, uh, I remember Paul had a, a what do you call the overnight lock-in? Lock-in. I tell him he invented those. I never <laughs> heard of it. Nobody heard of it. <laughs> I call it cruel and unusual punishment. And, and now. all the adult workers are like, what? We're going to stay on that? We had no kids. So at 8 a.m. when it was over and we'd been up all night, we went to our little apartment and slept till 3 p.m. And they were all dying. But I, I <laughs> before kids, you know, be, again, be intentional, you know, to spend the time, make those memories. I think in every season, when I look back, it was about making memories. Mm-hmm. And when I think back, those early married days, and those, oh, we, we laugh that being uh, empty nesters, it's kind of like, kind of like being newlyweds, but you have a little money. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. I would say about the time with newborns and infants, you know, when you're viewing that little bundle of love, that child, it's, you know, your heart is just so drawn and should be, you know, toward that that child. But it's also important to make sure that that child doesn't become 
the center of the home. Mm-hmm. Our relationship as husband and wife is, is the home. And we're glad the Lord has given us someone else that can watch that. So I was taught, and it's so true, that the best thing I can do for a child, regardless how old they are, is to love my spouse. Mm -hmm. That will give him and them the greatest security and the greatest help. Mm -hmm. So keep the priorities, even Mm -hmm. when you don't have much money and you do have a little newborn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with uh, the season of raising children again, making those memories, uh, I remember saying to Paul, you know, without a vision, the people perish. So we're going to make a vision. We're going to make that vacation plan. So, you know, we, and like he said, we planned vacations were very important. Oh, they were good times. And I remember when there wasn't a lot of money, Camping was fantastic. We had a yeah. They don't have to be big vacations. Yeah, it's time. It's time. T I M E, and you know, just that that time getting away. And some of those times in the tent when it would be pouring outside, and they were like, I remember one time Rachel said, "Is God mad at us?" (laughs) 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 Oh, I just relish, just cherish those uh, memories of the years we were raising kids and. Thankful, thankful for a husband that we we are just so in, agreed on that, and we look back and think that that just you know you can't uh, you can't put a price on that the, the value of it. Mm-hmm. So, and then the uh, I remember the time just after Robin was married and Rachel headed to Colorado for college, and uh, we were just a little bit. Uh, melancholy that morning at church and I think our friend Jack Humphrey sensed it and so he said to me <laughs> he said you know how long it took Bonnie and I to get over the empty nest syndrome and I said no how long he said about 20 minutes he <laughs> <laughs> said that's not true but, but yeah in fact he followed up by saying yeah when you get all of them out you know after Nathan's gone then then you'll really have a sweet time together. <laughs> so, um, it's- but I did have a little trouble with that final empty nest, and we were we had a big van because we needed it for all those years, taking all those kids places, and then we had a small Honda. And right after uh, they were all three gone, we were getting ready to go somewhere, and he said, "Which car?" And I said, "I guess the Honda." And Paul said. I don't know if it's room for that basket case. (laughs) 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 We needed a big basket for Mark. So (laughs) every season has been, it's just fun to look back. And that's why I want to say to you couples, don't throw in the towel, you know, stay, stick it out. And here we are, you know, and we're, in our 70s and we're looking at 52 years of marriage and you know it's just such a blessing mm-hmm. so I remember at Emily's um bridesmaids luncheon we talked about seasons yes and that just it's such a it's a, a great thing to look back on mm-hmm. and we're grateful very very grateful and then there's the season of grandkids and that's been oh that's wonderful and I think you know I know several couples that seem surprised when they begin to s- discover how different they are 
and how they look at things differently mm -hmm. because God has made them so differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember one mentor trained me to know that if two people agree on everything, one is obsolete. So there's yeah. a reason why we see things from different vantage points. And I need Margaret's vantage point. So my myopia doesn't keep me from seeing clearly. <laughs> right. And I need balls for sure. Yeah. How do you, so if, when you do have those times that you're looking at the world so differently, how do you come together and figure out what direction to go? You know, what I'm learning, Jill, is whenever we're in the height of a, of a, let's call it a spirited disagreement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, there are just times when it's better to not speak. Because if my words are not kind and gentle, then I'm going to do nothing but injure mm -hmm. people who are right. See, that's not the question whether I'm right or wrong. It's, the question is whether or not I'm like Christ. And you know, in the 85 uh, chapters, there are about 85 chapters in the four Gospels. There was only one time in those chapters where the Lord Jesus describes himself. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says that he is meek and lowly in heart, or he is gentle and humble. And so it's really hard to be mad at somebody that's gentle and humble, you know? Yeah. I wish I could say I always did this because I don't. But when I will stop, breathe, and think, how is Paul looking at this? What is his perspective? It just tears the wall down for me every time. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that because I'm so sure I'm right. But when I stop and I'll take a step back, and then that's usually at the point I have to say, will you forgive me? You know, I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. And that's something, too, we, we really taught our children that I think that keeps up from something bad getting worse is being able to admit you're wrong. We learned that in the first year of our marriage, mm -hmm. like seven words, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And we, we had our children do that. They weren't allowed to say, sorry, I'm sorry. Just hasn't any, doesn't mean anything. Right. And so I think the, uh, to answer that, yeah, it's a, uh, Stopping thinking about it from the other person's viewpoint and uh, being willing to admit, you know, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just, I'm sorry, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I jokingly say, you know, that when we got married, we knew that two were supposed to become one, but we just couldn't decide which one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we discovered it's neither one. When two really become one is when they become like Christ. By the way, one little uh, caveat to throw in here, listeners, just for your listening pleasure, uh, my dad tells jokes <laughs> all the time. He is famous for his jokes. Dad, tell us about the um, the one you just told us before we started filming about Apple. Apple. Oh, I'm not sure if Apple one is real, oh. but it's <laughs> building automobiles, but they've all but discounted the plan once they realized they'd have to use Windows. <laughs> everyone you're welcome yeah and thanks because my husband will be using that i'm sure he's a smart guy 
Is there you have any good Robin stories? Oh, okay. oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's so let's dig up some stuff on Robin while we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, our sweet Robin, um, the hardest word she learned to to say was no, because she was so up to her eyeballs in everything and and I'm hardly sure. had time to, to breathe. <laughs> And uh, in those days, we would be awakened each morning by Robin's piano practice early in the morning. We didn't have to get her up and say, honey, it's time to practice piano. What we rather said was, we might as well get up. Robin's practice. But she has has learned to uh, give margin in her life now. And and uh, I'd say I'm a work in progress in that. <laughs> Right. I was gonna say, yeah, I think she and I've had these conversations. Yeah, we have. <laughs> she married someone a lot like her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Candle burning. <laughs> Are you gonna tell a Robin story? I'm trying to think. Uh, she's just, she's just, she's Robin's in the sweetheart. Oh, she's thanks. Yeah. She's gonna I think they have to say that they're my parents, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just we got really blessed. <laughs> Sweet kiddos. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I sure have just watched from, of course, being in the moment, in the room, seeing your marriage, seeing you love each other. But a lot of the times when I was growing up, it really wasn't something I had the recognition of and thinking, this is really special wow, I'm watching my parents love each other. And as an adult, I look back and I can see it so clearly. I can see the way you loved each other and forgave each other and led so well, letting our, our family to love each other and to love the Lord. And um, your example is so beautiful. I just, I'm just striving to be the wife and mom that, that mom has been and to be the kind of parent that you both are. And oh my goodness, I just love you both so much, so oh, much. Thank you. Thank I you wish so everyone much. could have parents as wonderful as you are. Oh, well, <laughs> Rob is a little biased for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say one thing, I'll say those kind words. One thing I've appreciated so much about Paul is he has a great balance. And this would be for any advice I'd want to give to young couples as they're starting, but. You know, it's important, we talked about those vacations, you know, at work hard, but play hard. I just appreciate that he can turn it off and get away for a few days and, uh, or even on an evening, you know, to, to turn it off and to just work hard, play hard, and pray hard. Mm -hmm. It's just okay. lots of prayer. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both so much for coming and sharing your story. We just are so grateful. Um, you're so welcome. Thank it's you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for being with us today on this episode 112 with Paul and Margaret Purefoy. We wish all of you a wonderful, happy Valentine's Day. And we hope that this episode will be something that gives a encouraging, wise look at marriage. And hopefully it benefits you. We are just so grateful to Paul and Margaret for coming and sharing their story of um, sacrifice that they made and 
their willingness to take in family and love on family. And we just, again, appreciate them coming and sharing their story. One of the things I loved that they shared is that it's so important to make memories in every season, to be grateful for every season. And I'm taking that with me today. I'm really grateful for that, that wise advice. Everybody have a wonderful day. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye.